tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca. Everyone used to come down to uh, Countdown in Harley Street and get up and jam. And Rick Formosa, who was the then guitar player of the Little River Band, came down and he happened to come up to me after the gig and say he was thinking of leaving and would I be interested in having my name thrown into the ring there. And I uh, went for an audition and a couple of other players went for an audition and I was lucky enough to get the gig and at the same time I'd been playing at Peter Poynton's pub in Carlton with uh, George McArdle uh, and George and I did a couple of auditions with all the guys and... The rest is history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, three or four weeks after that, we are on the plane to the UK, did a couple of gigs in the UK, then 12 gigs in Germany with the Hollies, then straight to America, touring with the average white band, Jimmy Buffett, who's just passed, mm. Little Feet, incredible times, Macca. I've been phenomenally lucky, really, I think. There's been some highlights in my life, and LRB was absolutely, definitely one of them. I wrote the song The Lonesome Loser. That thing came out in America and bolted up the charts. It got nominated for a Grammy. It didn't win the Grammy. I don't feel bad. It's okay. <laughs> well, it's nice to be... It's always nice to be nominated, isn't it? Right. Yeah, I was, I was very happy that they thought of me, or thought of the LRB, but uh, that actually got nominated for the best vocal arrangement, which is kudos to Graham Gable. over Australia There's a radio show that Australians all know If you're rich or you ain't got a cracker They tell stories so grand of this vast timeless land and they call it Sunday with Macca They all call it Sunday with Macca Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca Get on with it, Macca. G'day, this is Macca. Hello, Macca. G'day. It's Robert here. It's Robert here. Mm. I uh, was on your uh, first out of the studio broadcast in Harrow as the technician or the uh, Telstra technician. I remember that, Robert. We're in a caravan. Gee, that was a long, when was that, about 1984 or something or... Eighty-three, I believe it was, Macca. Wow! And, uh, and I'm ringing up today because uh, it's the uh, year of the, the disi- uh, d- d- day of the disabled, and yeah. uh, as you would have realised, I had uh, cerebral palsy on my right hand side all my life. Yeah, Robert, that's gee. I often think of that because it was about the first outside broadcast I did, and I remember there was a bloke walking a dog past there, and it was a. That's a long. I remember this bloke walking a dog went past, and I commented on because it was about the first time. You remember how we used to do OBs? You do them in a caravan, so you were in like a goldfish bowl. And yeah, that's and, right. And yeah. I always thought, well, this is this is silly. I'm here in this, and people are outside standing round, and we've got a radio program that's sort of all prepared in the in there. But there's a whole radio program out there with people, and they want to talk to me. What am I doing? So. I remember we did one in Grafton in about 86 and I thought, this is stupid. So I sort of ventured, I opened the door gingerly <laughs> and it was before radio <laughs> and I had the mic uh, on a lead and I sort of went down the stairs and poked it in a few people's and then hurried back inside, you know, so I thought, oh, I can't go out there. It's like um, it's like that song by um, uh, Merle Haggard where he's on stage and he kicks out the lights. He kicks out the lights because he doesn't want people to see him. But... um. Yeah, it was hard to get used to, but yeah, I remember that Harrow OB in Western Victoria. Um, 
uh, Australia Felix and Mitchell and all that sort of stuff. It was really yeah. Robert. Um, yeah, what did you do after? I didn't see you again, did I, or did I? No, I, I met you once in Cairns, but um, yeah, I moved to South Australia and uh, worked in Western Australia and New, Z- um, New South Wales and the Northern Territory and uh, uh, with uh, Telstra. And uh, after I'd been everywhere, I retired. Oh, well, you mean you've been repurposed? Yeah, repurposed, that's the word, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert's, uh, Robert, what's your last name? Smith, an easy one to remember. Robert Smith, yeah. Uh, Claudia rang from Melbourne this morning. She was just been to the marathon in New York, and she's she's uh, sight uh, impaired, and um, she ran in the marathon, but she rang to tell me it was International Day of People with Disabilities. Disabilities, and, yeah. And, uh, and Robert Smith, Robert, we still do OBs. You should come on one, mate. You better come on. Where do you live now? Uh, on the York Peninsula. Yeah, well, we sh- we'll do one in in uh, yeah. South Oz. You better come along and and yeah. Uh, yeah. So go on. I, I did have trouble joining the PMG, and uh, I ended up going to see my local member of Parliament, who was Gordon Scholes. All right, uh, yeah, I remember him. He was a speaker, the, wasn't he? Yeah, and then the Minister of Defence in the Whitlam government. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, he just looked at me. He said, "I know you. <laughs> you deliver my papers." He said, "I don't. I can't see why you can't be a technician." And uh, he wrote a letter to the postmaster general, and uh, eventually I was allowed to join. That's so, what. Uh, that's what politicians I, are good for. That's what. That's what their job is, and that was really good of him, Gordon Cole. Yeah, I, I claim I, I might have been the first spastic to work for uh, the PMG. <laughs> Uh, it's lovely to talk to you, mate. I was ju- I've just been talking about outside broadcast this morning because we've done a heap since that one. That was about the first one I did, I think. Um, and I remember, yeah. I remember the dog and the bloke with the dog in in the main street of Harrow and our little caravan. And I don't uh, remember I've you, been... Robert, very well, but um, I'm I'd like to get to get in touch with you again. It'd be really nice. Yeah, I have been to a few few outdoor broadcasts since, and uh, um, at Harrow. Uh, I was the only bloke standing there at one stage watching. And uh, things, things have changed a bit, Maga. Yeah, I'll say, I'll say. It was, uh, yeah, I'd only been doing the program for about oh, a year and a half, I think, in 83. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, it was uh, a steep learning curve, Rob. <laughs> okay, thanks for talking to me. That's a pleasure, mate. Good on you. We'll keep in touch, okay. eh? Okay, righto. Thank you. See, See you. Bye. Yeah, Nathan here. How are you going? Yeah, good. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, morning, Macca. Yeah, just uh, just ringing up for the first time. Just been listening to you since I was a kid with mum and dad. And uh, yeah, I'm just um, ringing in from uh, off the coast of Exmouth, WA. Oh, what are you on a rig or something? Yeah, offshore on an oil rig. Well, it's an, an oil producing vessel, so it's sort of half ship, half oil rig, what they call a, a floating production storage and offtake vessel. So I'm part of the marine crew, so I was a, a merchant seaman, or still am. And uh, yeah, just thought I'd call in and good on you. And, and no, no, so so the oil comes <clears throat> out of the rig and onto and is pumped onto your boat ship. Yeah, that's right. We bring it up out of the ground. So we're like a, we've got a production plant on what was the foredeck of an old tanker, and uh, yeah, we bring the oil up, process it, and uh, we make crude oil out of that. Store it when we get close to full, which is our main job. We bring a tanker in and uh, fill the tanker up, and then that well generally exports it overseas. Wow. And how long you been yeah, on the, how long you been on the rig, Nathan? What and what do you do? What do you do? Yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm what they call a GSA. So on a ship, I'd be like what used to be an AB or an IR, and um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, but, so we do. 
Yeah, yeah. so we take care of all the marine stuff, lifeboats, rescue boats. We do the crane driving, all the emergency response stuff, uh, helicopter operations. And uh, so it's been my Sunday ritual for the last few years. I just get up uh, about 4.30 and walk on the heli deck, watch the sun come up and put you on in the headphones. <laughs> And what's that like? What's that living the dream? What do you do? Twelve on, twelve off, or something? Or yeah, twelve on, twelve off. Three weeks on, three weeks off. Mm. And uh, I live in uh, Mornington Peninsula over in Victoria. So sometimes in winter I'll go from pretty chilly to pretty hot up here. But it's, it's a nice contrast, and it's a beautiful place to work. Yeah, and Mornington uh, is a lovely. Oh, we were nearly going to do our program when we did announce our broadcast last week down in Mornington, but we'll do that next year sometime. I'd love to do a program yeah. down there. Lots of lots of people live down there, don't they? It's really an escape, I suppose, isn't it, down there? Yeah, yeah, it's nice. I mean, you've got surf. I'm pretty avid surfer, so, you know, you've got a bit of surf. You've got wine, which I enjoy that too. And, uh, yeah, nice countryside. How far off the coast are you, Nathan? Uh, we're about 40, 45 k's oh, out the sea. Wow. About 20, 25 minutes in a chopper. So what do you see out there, Nathan, that we, we, we never see? Um, a lot of whales during the whale season. We've had... Um, we get the odd whale shark, pretty rare. I've been on this one 15 years and uh, probably seen a whale, about five whale sharks in that time. And uh, They're those and really week, big ones just... with the big mouths, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, big mouths and the spots and the, the feeders. And then this week my dad's an, an avid bird watcher and uh, we had a, a white-tailed tropic bird out here flying around and uh, fishing off the thing and landing on the helideck. So I'm a bit of a bird watcher myself, so that mm. was kind of cool. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, we've got the ritual, everybody... It's got their jobs to do, and people go to the gym and read, and yeah, no, it's not a bad life. And uh, I was just going to say, Macro, I was on a sh- my first ship uh, back in 1994 was the IMYLA, one of the old BHP bulk carriers, and oh. uh, we did a massive Slim. trip around the world. Captain, Captain Slim. Slim, that's him. Yeah, yep. he used to call <laughs> us from here, and, and he said, I've just been through the Sea of Japan, and I had five typhoons, and he says, and we've been slung along like a woomera. Um, yeah, <laughs> I can. He was he was great, Captain Slim. I loved him. Loved, yeah, loved the calls. Well, we don't have those ships anymore. We don't have any ships, do we, in Australia? That's good. Well, good, we've, good idea we've for a maritime. Few, Go on. Yeah, we're a dying, we're a dying breed. We've got a few ships left. Obviously, the Bass Strait, and uh, you know, the, well, the trade unions and, and all of us are trying hard to keep it and reinvigorate the Australian shipping industry. And uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll see it come back. But uh, there's a bit of a boom in the offshore now, and. Uh, Hopefully with the wind farms, there'll be a lot of offshore work, but we, we need the guys to do the work now. We're all getting a bit on. So, uh, exactly. Yeah, hopefully the, it's a maritime the, the, nation. the merchant navy will come back. Apparently, Nathan, we're surrounded by water. Apparently, um, I'll have to look at the map again, but I think we're surrounded by water. So it might be a good idea if we had a few of our own ships and people who knew what the coast was like. And uh, it just amazes me. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's right. And particularly in times of conflict, that we rely on uh, on a coastal shipping line and... Australian National Line back in the day, and uh, yeah, unfortunately it's all eroded, but uh, who knows. And then, and see, a bit like COVID, uh, we're all sitting around blithely just, you know, scratching our chins, and all of a sudden COVID happens, and we're not prepared for it, and the same as you're saying with, I mean, it just seems common sense to have a, 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 a even a small fleet of merchant vessels that go around your coast that can do all sorts of gigs and I mean last time the bushfires yeah. happened I think they had to call the Navy in and, and that's good to call yeah. the Navy in to, to rescue some people off beaches but you know there's I don't know anyway yeah well we actually had a merchant crewed vessel uh, which is uh, the Sycamore that, that got in there before the Navy it was contracted to the Navy for, for helicopter operations but uh, yeah so the merchant uh, merchant crew actually got in there first and started pulling the people out of Malacuta before the Navy got there so mm. 
kudos to us uh, yeah. with the with the red duster. Well, I wish I was out. Give us a look out. You're out in the rig now. Um, I've just popped into the uh, bridge. All right. Use the phone because it's a bit windy up there in the heli deck, but uh, I can send you a photo if you like. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> love to see it, Nathan. How we, how yeah. many people work on the rig? Uh, about sixty four at the moment. We've got sixty five bunks, so it's that's so pretty tight living. <laughs> <laughs> Can be a bit of, bit of conflict in the change room at times. We've had a few little issues, but uh, look, we, we deal with it. It's all cool. All right, Nathan, great to talk to you, mate. Um, and, yeah, you too, mate. Have uh, a good Sunday and, and I'll see you job down, left. I'll see you, yeah, I'll see you down on the Mornington sometime, eh? Oh, good morning, Macca. It's uh, David speaking from Heathrow in London. Hi, David. Um, I'm just about... <laughs> How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, so I'm just about to fly. Um, I've come over here to uh, make sure my daughter is set up over here. Like, it is really, really cold here at the moment, Um, but uh, very good, but very expensive. I noticed there's a lot more, when I was last over here in 2018, there's a lot more homeless people. Um, So uh, it it is a bit sad to see, but um, I just love the country areas of England too. Like, it's just fantastic, and going down and, appreciating uh, the, the history and the culture. And I went to a place the other day even called Mousehole, uh, which the English pronounce Mousel um, in Cornwall. But um, look, mainly I came over here for my daughter and we did a lovely trip up to Scotland. So just thought I'd just ring and just touch base. And I have met you before. I was at an outside broadcast in Mount Gravatt, actually. All uh, right. So, yeah, good, good, good to speak to you again. So, so thank you very much. For that's all right, Dave. David, tell me, you just said you're about to fly. What are you flying back home to Australia, are you? I am. I've been over here since October 29, um, and so I'm flying back uh, QF2. We we just go to Singapore briefly for about an hour and a half, I think, and then straight into Sydney. Uh, so I'll be in Sydney on Monday morning. Yeah, people uh, have said that to plan. Yeah, people have said that to me about overseas uh, when I say you know they've been to Italy or what. And they say it looks just like here, inflation, unemployment, um, you know, uh, homeless people. It's, uh, it's oh, a worldwide phenomenon. It is, so, it is so sad to see. And like the costs of things over here are really quite phenomenal because from the viewpoint that if I bought a, a sandwich or something, it would, let's say, cost me $5 in Australia. It's going to cost £5 here, which is more like $10. So it certainly is a lot more expensive. Apart from fruit and vegetables, I find, like bananas and stuff like that, it's a little bit cheaper. But um, everything else is just so much more expensive. I know my daughter, she, um, you know, just her rent alone is, is just, you know, through the roof. She lives in central London, but uh, you've got to have a good job to pay for the rent, basically. But mm. it's, it's lovely over here. I do love it. What, what's, she doing, yeah. what's she doing over there? She works for Sky News, um, and she's just in, in, that, in that field, really. I mean, I, I, I had the fortune to go and visit. It's like a city in itself. It's quite remarkable with all these screens and everything, everything like that. So I got a special clearance to go in, and, and it was fascinating, you know, what they do. They do long shifts. They do 12-hour shifts, um, but uh, just a very thriving, you know, great environment, I think, to work in, although who knows what the history of um, TV is going to be, but certainly the, the news will always be there, um, and they they tend to do that very well too. Yeah, well, yeah. it's but like, the, like that, the ABC. <laughs> it's the um, it's where the where the world happens, really. I mean, everything else is, um, you know, is 
peripheral to what happens in newsrooms. I mean, the whole world is in the newsroom. I mean, we seem to be seem to be governed by the news in some the news in inverted commas. I'm saying, Dave. So um, I don't know. Anyway, it's... oh, very very much so. And, and Ian, it was it was good. To, I just put on a little bit of the program at the moment. I won't mention the program, but it's been shot out in Australia. Mm. Um, you know, but uh, but it's just interesting to see their coverage of Australia as well in that time and and what they. You know, the, the, their true outback, they're thinking true outback being northern New South Wales where the, the show is shot. Yeah. And um, really, it's just, it's just a bit of rainforest, really. But it's not a true jungle, so to speak. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have I'd love to have time there in northern New South Wales. Fantastic. <laughs> well, but, have, um, a, yeah. Yeah. have a good flight, David. Nice to talk to you, mate. Um, and, well, uh, you, t- you too, Ian. And, and please look after yourself. And thank you for all that you do. I said I've been listening to you since you are a teenager back in the <laughs> 80s. Um, and so thank you, thank you so much for all that you do. You just, you're, you're amazing. So well, thank you very much. We'll see you back in Australia somewhere sometime, David. Good on you. Yeah, and I love your OBs too. I agree with what you're saying. So yep. thank you very much. Take Th- care. Thanks, mate. Bye. Morning, Dave. David from Gisborne here. Mm. And uh, I've just been up at Dalesford Christmas Tree Farm, loaded 100 Christmas trees and on the way down to Essendon, to sell a lot of trees uh, with our Rotary Club being the Essendon North Rotary Club. Wow. And who's delivering those? You, Dave, are you? Well, not today. Uh, no, I'm doing next Saturday, but we've got a lot of volunteers from the club. Yesterday I loaded 150 and took them down. Today I'm taking down another 100. We sell about 1,000 over the next three weeks. Oh, it's good. just going to say, so they're still as popular as ever, Christmas trees? Oh, uh, in the unbelievable. Ha- really? Unbelievable. We're killed in the rush. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, yeah. I, I think they're a nice thing, aren't they, the Christmas tree? And the smell of pine in the um, – didn't Roger do a thing? Roger Oxley did a thing with us about the pine trees and the – Christmas years ago, he's our he's our little botany correspondent. But uh, oh yeah. Anyway, Dave. So that well, good on you, mate. So how long? Yeah. Do, how long do you keep this up for? Oh well, that's for the next three weeks. We conclude on the eighteenth of December, but we generally sell about a thousand over this three week period, and of course, all the money raised goes to a lot of the charities around Melbourne. So um, it's one of our biggest fundraisers. Yeah, it's uh, and Christmas is a bit more. Uh, I don't know. This, I'll tell you what. There's been a lot more Christmas songs written this this year. They they just come across the good, bad, and indifferent. But people are just embracing. I don't know why because they want something to do. I don't know. Or but they've forgotten about Christmas for the last couple of years or something. And now it's uh, yeah, yeah, they're writing songs. No, so yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly right. And uh, the thing is, I think post pandemic too, we've noticed a lot stronger sales coming through. Uh, last year was a big, uh, big year. This year we're expecting the same. And, um, yeah, hopefully it'll all go well. Yesterday with a lot of rain down here in Melbourne, all the boys were uh, like shags on a rock yesterday. It was shocking. Yeah, and uh, look, last night at my place it was torrential rain, only for about half an hour, but hail and God help me. And I thought they said it was going to be less – it's going to be drier than normal whatever. Well, that's what they reckon. <laughs> so they said, who knows, Dave? Who knows? Good up. Who keep, knows? keep up the good work, mate. All the best. Take, take care. Bye. Have a good Christmas. Robert's in Narromine. Morning, Robert. Good morning, uh, Maka. Uh, we're in Narromine. Uh, Narromine is hosting the, or just to let everyone know, uh, they're hosting the World Gliding Competition. Uh, and there's something like about 80-odd uh, gliders uh, 
that are competing uh, from overseas. And uh, it's very spectacular to uh, watch it from uh, the ground. It's, it's not a sport that you can watch up in the air, but uh, the amount of gliders on the air is uh, spectacular. That's now. But, that's happening right now. Yeah, we had the opening uh, day yesterday uh, in one of the, the uh, ovals uh, yesterday with a few dignitaries there. And um, uh, it's going to go for two weeks. Um, Are you a glider, Robert? Yeah, I've talked to you once before. I was up on the Morning Glory up there. Oh, uh, right, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, some time back. But, uh, uh, no, it's uh, it's good to see Australia host, you know, uh, a big event that uh, only comes around uh, uh, not very often. And uh, for all these uh, overseas people that bring their planes over, it's quite expensive. Uh, uh, the uh, European... so, so how do they do that? Do they fold the planes up or unbolt them and, and bring them like that? Yeah, they do rig them. They put them into containers and uh, they got special uh, rigs that they uh, put in the containers and uh, they pull them out and uh, rig them and uh, uh, they all bolt together because... Uh, you know, if you outland somewhere in a glider two or 300 kilometres from home, uh, you've got to be able to take a trailer out and uh, de-rig it and put it in the trailer and bring it back. And uh, mm. uh, the missus don't like that too often. But anyway, um, but uh, no, it's it's uh, uh, quite good. And uh, So what's the weather like for gliding? I mean, there's been lots of storms and rain and cloud and humid and... You, yeah. So what's the what's the story for the weather for the gliders? It hasn't been very kind, to tell you honest truth. Uh, we had a bit of rain overnight. Uh, we don't like wet paddocks because uh, if we outland, uh, if we can get stuck in a paddock for for a week or two or can't get to the plane even. Uh, but uh, it's been very unusual weather. Um, uh, I got I got to admit, uh, even the morning glory up there. Uh, the uh, last uh, couple of years, uh, the uh, water temperatures haven't been the same as what they have been before. So, uh, and that's upsetting uh, all the weather. But uh, they they got a couple of days of just training uh, uh, there the other day. But uh, um, we had uh, quite strong winds there uh, two or three days back, and. Uh, uh, oh. I would have thought that, look, I know nothing about it, but I would have thought hot and dry would be good for gliding and humid air wouldn't be nearly as good. But is is that right or what? Uh, well, the, the hot and dry is better. The more temperature on the ground, the bigger the thermals are going to be to uh, mm. ca- carry you on. Um, so, uh, but uh, you need a little bit of moisture to, to uh, make the clouds as well. So, um, that's a bit of a blessing to a certain degree. But anyway, um, uh, all the organisation that's gone into it, I've got to hand it to the, uh, uh, there was one lady, uh, I don't know if I should mention the name, but uh, Beryl Hartley uh, up here for a narrow mind person that uh, done all the organising. She got a FAI award uh, at the uh, uh, at the meeting there uh, so, yesterday. So that's on... Uh... That's on today, and people can go and have a look at that in Narromine? Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Like airport, there's a Butte Museum with the uh, the uh, Wright Flyer in. And where uh, are you from, Robert? 
I'm from Sydney, actually. All right. There you go. All right. Well, yeah. enjoy. Sounds like a, a wonderful thing to see when you, yes, those magnificent men in their flying machines, <laughs> gliders. Yeah. Good on right. you, Robert. Righty, Alan We'll catch you later. See you. Bye. Bye. Claudia, oh Claudia's on the line. Good morning, Claudia. Good morning, Macca. Our runner, our, our runner from Melbourne, and was just did the marathon. How'd you go in the marathon? All right. Oh, uh, really? Much, much better than I expected. So, uh, yeah, that was really stoked. But it's International Day of People with Disability today, Macca. So, right. happy you... International Day of People with Disability. Right, and you're back in Australia. I'm back in Australia. Yep, mm. I've been back about a week now. Mm. And what was the experience like for the marathon? Um, for me, it was quite overwhelming. I learned a lot about myself during the marathon. I learned that I do not get my energy from the roar of the crowds. Um, it was absolutely overwhelming, like amazing. Like the people that just turned out were, were fantastic. Um, I loved the energy from the people, but the, the noise, not so much. So yeah, the high fives from the kids, the banners that people had made, the, the clapping and cheering was fine, but Oh, the bands and the you know the noisemakers and I was like, okay, that's a bit too much now. <laughs> it's really a day out. I mean, the, it sounds like the the running of the marathon is is peripheral to everything else yeah, that's going. It's like party absolutely. party. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. The 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 whole of New York, I feel, turns out and, and waits on the streets watching like every runner. So you know, there's the really fast people who do you know the marathon in like two hours, something or other. Yeah. Um, right to people who take, you know, nine or 10 hours and there's people still waiting on the finish line for those last runners to come through. You know, really? just, yeah, amazing. Like just fantastic. The the support from the New Yorkers is amazing. So what uh, happens on International Day of People with uh, Disabilities, uh, Claudia? What's, what are you doing today? Anything interesting or just? Uh, just no, I, I did my stint yesterday. So, um as part of Achilles Melbourne, uh, we had a takeover of our local park run or one of the park runs in, in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so all of the volunteer roles uh, were filled by people with disabilities as well as lots of people with disabilities attending as well and participating. So, um, yeah, that, I did my stint yesterday and next week for work I've got, you know, back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back information sessions. So, um, yeah. It's going to be a busy week next week, so I'm just you know taking today off because uh, I'm working you know tomorrow as well, which I usually don't work Mondays. So um, yeah, it's it's going to be a busy week at work. So today I'm I'm skipping the regular training session for running and and just having a, a quiet day in. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good reason for skipping. Yeah, you don't want to do too much running, Claudia. Don't yeah, <laughs> take it steady. Take it steady. Oh, I'm addicted now, Macca. Oh, I've dear. already got. I've got the, a few other marathons inside. I've already signed up for a few this year. So next year, I should say. Oh well. Um, well, good luck with that. Ring us from all over the world, Claudia. <laughs> Wherever you sure, are. Sure, I will. So, so next next year is pretty pretty local. Although I might try and get to Queenstown for the their marathon. Um, oh, but wow. yeah. All right. Good on you, Claudia, and thanks for your Thanks for ringing us too. No, no problem. Thanks, Macca. Have a great day. Bye. Joe's in Brighton. Good morning, Joe. In Melbourne, is that Joe? Yes. Hi, hi, Macca. Hi. I just wanted to say how enjoyable it was last week in the St Kilda. I absolutely loved it. Oh, well, good. You're so popular. I couldn't even get near you. Oh, really? It's just a great experience, and the music and the people. And I was telling Cal, I love the little impromptu dance you did. Very enjoyable. 
Well, it was just and, the people were really nice, like the the people who went swimming in the bay and told us about oh, the, the reefs great. and the eagle oh. rays and the long snouted boarfish and yeah, well, fabulous. Yeah, all the interesting stories. Yes, and everybody. Wanted... Yeah, that's the thing I find on outside broadcast, Joe. Everybody's got a little interesting story, and it takes you one minute you're in the bay looking at the reefs and the eagle ray, and the next minute you're talking about bergonomics, and the next minute you're <laughs> talking to the Little River Band and next minute you're, you're all over the place, you know. It's, it uh, certainly was. Yeah. We covered Australia that day and today, Heathrow Airport. And I've got to tell you one more thing. I know you've got a lot of people waiting, but I've been listening. I'm one of the lazy people. I've been listening to you for over 30 years. Wow. And was introduced to your program by my ex-husband. So that was a great positive out of that marriage, <laughs> getting to listen to you. There's always something positive. There is. You can always everything. take something positive. Yes, every, look at everything as an opportunity, Joe. I reckon. It was a great opportunity and I've loved it ever since. So it's just, you're just the best mm, but... and you just... You know, you're amazing. You bring us all together. No matter where that, we Joe. are, we lie in there. Oh, you do. We, but the, I lie in there in bed thinking, God, I'm, I should bring him one day. Yeah, but and you here you are. bring Australia together. And I just <laughs> want to thank you so much, Mac. You're amazing. Thanks, you really Joe. Are. Good on you. And the, and the people are amazing. That's what's amazing, Joe. Good on you. Great to talk to you. Thanks for coming, too. Thank you. See, thank you. Bye. Hello, Mac. It's Colin. Hi. G'day, Colin. Hi. I'm um, a person with a disability. Um, uh, on International Day of Disabilities, I, I thought I'd just ring you. Mm-hmm. Well, we have actually spoken before, and you, you're going to put me in touch with people in the ABC office in Adelaide, but that, that didn't eventuate. But I, I just wanted to um, briefly say about my story and what I'm doing now. Uh, at, at the age of 22, I was... Um, Involved in a very bad car accident, motor car accident at James Cook University. I was doing a PhD in geology and I um, was going on a field trip and at dusk, um, driving into the sun, some kangaroos came across the road when I was driving a four-wheel drive vehicle and I hit the brakes and the vehicle rolled and um, I suffered um, acquired brain injury and um, other injuries as a result of that. And I was doing a PhD in geology, as I said, at Mount Isa, and eventually I was taken to the the Townsville General Hospital, and I was um, diagnosed as being brain dead. And they, the doctors, wanted to have my organs donated, and they rang my parents, and um, fortunately, my parents said they didn't want to have my organs donated at that time, and. A few days later, I was, um, I didn't really recover quickly, but I was um, no longer brain dead. And so, so that was quite fortunate for me. That, and, I'll say, I'll say. Yeah. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. And, but eventually I was um, brought back to Adelaide because uh, my parents lived in Adelaide and that's where I did my honours degree. Um, what in geology? In, in geology, yes. Yeah. So you, you did you, you did your PhD in geology? Yes, yeah, oh, at James Cook yeah. University in yeah. Townsville. Yeah. Um, and I was going on a geological um, Society of Australia excursion at the time, and um, when, when the vehicle rolled, and it's a, kind of a, a number of circumstances. I was driving at 
um, at dusk because um, someone that came up from ANU, um, Australian National University, um, his luggage didn't turn up at the location and um, so we went out to where his parents lived near Charles Towers and we, we were supposed to be travelling in convoy but as it they eventuated we, we were travelling at dusk um, into the sun and that's the time the kangaroos came out. So you were yeah. a youngster at this stage. So yeah, how, only 22. How, yeah. old, how long ago was this, uh, Colin? Um, well, 1978. Oh, wow. Like, I'm 68 now. So. And what have, you, what have you been doing with the rest of your I, life? Like, I, I've, like um, in, I'm a geologist, and um, I've worked in the industry. Like, I've done postdocs in University of West Australia, University of Otago in New Zealand on gold mineralisation. I've achieved a lot. I've I'll published say. international papers um, in journals. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I guess um, because it's boom or bust, like sometimes um, even exploration managers are out of jobs because um, there's no work in, in the mining industry. Or yeah. Other times it's really booming and anybody... Um, that can pick up a stone and knows what it is can get a job, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, well, and where, you live in Adelaide, Colin? Yeah. Still, yeah. Yes. And, and uh, actually, um, I, I um, like I, because I'm 68 and kind of retired now, or semi-retired. I still volunteer a lot, Macca. Mm. Um, I am in a history unit at the Bomb, the Weather Bureau. Yeah. And we. Um, we don't really analyse data, but we collate and um, all the history data. That the like the bomb, the weather bureau is looking at the current data, but we we um, collate and um, put together on the internet um, history data, mm. um, and that's great for um, scientists all over the world, in, particularly in relation to climate change. Yeah. Uh, well, we had a call this morning. Uh, uh, Colin was mentoring, ladies and gentlemen. Claudia rang from Melbourne. She she rang us from the New York Marathon. She's she's um, vision impaired, but she runs in the marathon. And she said today, Ian, is International Day of People with a Disability. So, uh, Colin, uh, can you oh, I've can got you a disability can, and, um, can you get around? I mean, you walk around, or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah um, I'm kind of a, a bit of um, a gym junkie. I like I go to the gym nearly every day. I haven't got um, trouble walking. Um, I've got double vision from the car accident, and I've had a, a couple of operations to try and correct that, but it's central, uh, like it's brain damage, and there's no way that they can correct the brain, really. And what do you do with your spare time, <laughs> Colin? You... Um, well, I, as I said, I go to the gym. Yeah. Like I, I'm married and I've got a wife, and... A daughter that's um, a landscape architect. She's she lives in Melbourne, uh, Geelong. Yes. So there you go. See, just something like that, and, and, uh, and you never like, know. Um, with determination, like I've proved that, even if when the doctors say you're brain dead, and you can still go on and achieve a lot. I think. Yeah, exactly. Good on you, Colin. Great to talk to you, mate. Thank you. Can, can you just hang Did on? Do you remember when I spoke to you before? Tell. Um, well, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, but listen, you, you can you hang on the line there? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You hang on the line. Um, we'll get back to you. Lee wants okay, to talk to you. you. Hey, Marco, it's Babs of Kempsey here. G'day, Babs. 
I uh, spoke to you a couple of times over the years when I was paddling down the Murrumbidgee and Edwards River, and I've been paddling down the Lachlan River up until four days ago. Um, a mate, uh, Kevin, he rang you about a month ago on the first leg of the trip. All right, uh, yep, said, yep, yep. And uh, look, uh, a beautiful river. I just had to bail out. There just got to be too many uh, trees uh, drowned from the floods, the big floods last year, and, and just uh, what was become adventure was starting to turn into a nightmare. So, um, but yeah, I've certainly enjoyed it. What a mighty there. river the Lachlan is. When I was in primary school, I remember our. One of our teachers, Mr. Cullender, talking about the Lo- the Lachlan, and I always thought it's a great river. Um, you know, I mean, it's not a river like the uh, the Amazon or anything like that. The great rivers and grand, but in lots of ways, it just goes everywhere, doesn't it? But um, so tell us about it. We haven't been out in the Lachlan, uh, certainly in a kayak, mate. What's uh, yeah? Well, on, it, go on. so it started off at Cowra and, and basically six legs. I was hoping to try to get right down to Oxley which then turns into the great Kumbungi Swamp. And it's not many people have ever done the full length of it, but um, I got to about 25 kilometres from Hilston and uh, it, just, it, was, it was just getting so thick. I've, I've got a pruning saw with me and I used oh. to, I could sort of cut through the head really? of the little branches and then I would have had to pull over at least 20 trees you know, up to a metre above the water. Um, That's which not is fun. Sort of, no, yeah, you feel like you're an arborist, not a not a paddler. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a big, long kayak, sit on top plastic kayak, but it, you feel like you're in the Queen Mary trying to park it into a mini minor spot because you you're back in and reverse and going forward, weaving your way through all the branches. But um, yeah, and, and down the, the flood debris, you'd quite often see um, yeah fridges. And washing machines up in the trees, up five, six metres up the tree. And, uh, yeah, quite a lot of old uh, rain tanks that have been washed down. And, Bubs, but, how, uh, long, how long is the, the Lachlan? It's a pretty long river, isn't it? Yeah, like it, from from Cowra, it was going to be 1,240 kilometres to the swamp. And then there's about another 50 kilometres to uh where it joins the Murrumbidgee, and I've, I've sort of seen it at the bottom end, and you could touch each side there with a paddle. Um, it's that narrow. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just the red gums. Because it wasn't logged, I guess, it's because they didn't have their steamboats, you know, the paddle wheel is going up. But there's some of those huge big red gums along the edges. But the, um, the amount of carp is just staggering that you see. They're just just everywhere. It's... Any little back eddy, you'll see 20 sort of rubbery orange lips sort of sucking away at the surface. Uh, and, yeah, you, you could regularly just hit them on your head with, with your paddle as you went by. The the cormorants are that fat from, uh, you know, catching the carp that when they see you, they try to take off and they can't sort of get up <laughs> momentum, so especially the big cormorants. And then they just spew up the, the carp, up the sort of 15-inch long carp. And... Um, Lower down, there was quite a few pelicans, and four of them had broken wings. And not in other areas, they'd be dead, but they could just uh, catch enough food. Yeah, and, it, um, it's amazing. So, what what should happen? I mean, should there be some sort of a slight clearing of the river? Or I mean, I you know, I know logs in rivers are good things, and they're places where fish breed and stuff like that. But I suppose there's a there's a happy medium, isn't there, Babs? Yeah, it, it, 
I mean, it's not the locals reckon. Yeah, it's certainly the rivers getting you know more clay, you know, cloudy from them. Uh, I can't. There's no way unless they've got some environmental uh, disease that could kill them and not the the native fish. But from what I could gather, the native fish are enjoying it too, though, because the cod that I caught and, you know, and released, they're as fat as butterballs. They're just they're just fat. Um, and you know, the sea eagles, well, they're benefiting from the carp, but uh, there's a lot more erosion on the banks, and, and that's sort of causing more trees to fall in, they reckon. But, um, I mean, that was a huge flood, as we all know. So it's uh, I was expecting there'd be more trees than normal but um uh yeah i just i can't see anyone really getting right down to the bottom any unless they're a real massacre and there's um, there's been a lot of rain like uh, the last week or so i don't suppose that's reached the lachlan or any way but um it's still running pretty well i suppose no well you, it's very hard <laughs> new south wales is a waterways to try and work out when they're going to release it and get an answer from them, all they do is give you a client number and then go, you know, <laughs> didn't get back to me. Typical, but yeah, you um, because they're diverting water off the end for the you know, irrigators. But the Hilston had a uh, the bank behind the town, uh, you yeah, know, where the shops and the pub and that are. It's uh, really eroded, so they're they're not releasing a lot of water down that end while they repair that. Yeah, you know, they're like doing a, a break wall on the bend um but really even if with the water low um that probably helped me in a couple of spots because i can actually get under the arch of a fallen tree um just by lying back in the kayak and just 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 clearing it there's heaps of paper wash though so in a couple of times when you you're about to go through and you think oh god i'd rather don't want to go through that spot but uh, sometimes you have to and Babs, is this something you do every now and again? Go kayaking on the river for what you for to feel you know good about yourself and stuff because it's obviously a great thing to do out there you know, on your own. And yeah, the, I guess I don't like the norm sort of holidays. I love it sort of adventure, and I turned seventy, uh, you know, two weeks ago while I was on the river. So I, I thought, uh, well, I can, while I can still do it, I, I'll do it. I do a lot of long distance bushwalking, and I was in Pakistan and went to K2 base camp in July this year. So I'm making up for the lost time when you, I had to work to earn money to sort of go out do things. Yeah, so it's you've you've uh, hauled your kayak onto the shore, have you, Babs, basically? Yeah, like I, I I had a big weir. There's, yeah, a lot of weirs on the on the river. So I, I think that was about the 11th one that morning that was, raining i'd had 30 mils of rain the night before uh the river wasn't up but you know i got through about four trees this weir uh yeah cause i had to lower the kayak back down on the bottom side of it to get in the water came along i heard some dog barking and i saw the, the house and i thought nah that's it because there was another tree about to block me sort of got up off the bank no one was at home i started having a wash with um, the dog bowl to get the mud off me to go walk to the road to hitch the town. And the owners turned up, uh, quickly put me clothes on, and then uh, they, they gave me a cup of tea and dropped me in town. Well, there you go. It sounds like an adventure, Babs. We never get to do that, what you've done, but um, thanks for giving me But you can. That's the thing, Macca. It it's only takes one step. Um, but we don't need- with, 
Yeah. We need to take a handsaw with us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, I'm smart but dumb. I took two, but I actually tipped over about four days before I finished and lost the one saw and my rods, but that's just collateral damage when you do things like that. It's, um, I had a little tranny with me, and you'd you'd, mack a, you'd sit in a little plastic bag between my legs, and I was listening to you. <laughs> wow. And... Uh, uh, as you go around a bend, you had to turn the turn the tranny so that you could get good reception. But unfortunately, I didn't have you in the bag when I tipped over. So I, oh I, uh, dear! Yeah, <laughs> I think it was all of fifteen dollars. But when I was on the Murrumbidgee, you were in, in my in the plastic food container, and it was the same thing that I had to keep on turning the kayak so I could hear you. Uh, oh, no, I, I hope I enjoyed it. I think I did actually the trip. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you did, mate. And uh, look, you you would love it. Love an evening like on the coast. There's always a bit of wind, but of an evening the bush is so still, and you you just uh, yeah. I made sure I had a couple of beers and a bit of red wine with me, and um, any beer, even if it's hot, is better than no beer. And because they're big kites, you can carry enough for ten days. It's a lot easier than bushwalking. Until you hit the trees. Yeah, see, it's a lovely thing. I, whenever I cross over a river when I'm driving uh, and I look up the river, you cross the bridge and you look up the river and I think, wouldn't it be nice to just disappear up that river? But but as, uh, you, what was the your your mate's name? He, he said, Kevin, yeah. Kevin, he said, it can be very dangerous. He says, if it looks like it's trouble, it probably is trouble. So steer clear of all those sort of things and... Yeah, you got to take care. And rivers are, especially freshwater rivers, they seem to be dangerous places to me. Yeah, like because there's even when there's not much flow, and there isn't in the Lachlan, there's because of the big tree log jam, any water that has, is getting through is, is just getting funneled and it speeds up. You know, so there's still quite a lot of force. And I miscalculated when I tipped over. I'd, it was sort of like a natural rocky shingle bed. And instead of being you know, a metre or two deep, it was only uh, sort of calf deep. And I thought, oh, I'll just sneak past this tree. Well, I got sort of pushed across into it, jammed hold of the branch. I was going to prune it. And the next minute, I'm upside down. And there there goes me tranny. <laughs> <laughs> there goes Macca. All right. Yeah. Good on yeah. you. <laughs> Babs, good on you, mate. Send us a photo or two. That'd be really nice. So uh, if you, got, I suppose you took some photos, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll... I'm on my way home. I'm at Singleton talking to you now. I'm, I'm not yet. I'm be at Kempsey at the end of the day, and I'll get my partner to sort of she can she can do the technical side of things. All right. Yeah. Good on yeah. You. No, I got a I got a few classic ones. Yeah. I bet that sounds. You paint a lovely picture, Babs. Good on you. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, well, Thank you, mate. You live in Kempsey, do you? Yeah, look, at that. I've got heaps of kayaks there, so I, if you're driving through, I'll put you in one and show you how nice it is in a kayak. All right, on the uh, on the uh, Maclay? Yeah, Maclay. I'm, I'm actually at Hadhead, so which is even easier. You, you've got a little creek there, and you can paddle right out in the ocean. Good on you, Babs. Okay. See, see you, mate. mate. Bye. <laughs> This is the All Over News. This is the All Over News, and it seems that most of the news these days is about the health of the nation. Remember the doctor a few weeks ago who indicated that hospitals don't seem to be functioning nearly as well as they should. And, of course, the other news, renewables, wind, solar farms, 
poles, wires. You might not feel the angst in the suburbs and cities of Australia, but step outside the cities and you'll find it. I'm talking to Barney from Batlow. How are you, Barney? I'm great, Ian. How are you? Correspondent to our program. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to see you in Gundagai, mate. And Thanks. especially the, um, visiting the historic Niagara Cafe. I'll say. And Ro- it's Ross, isn't it? Yes, Ross from a little town called Jugiong, which is just up the road. Just up the road. Barney, first to you. How's things in Batlow? Look, we're pretty lucky. We're, we're not in drought. It's still green up our way. But as you know, we've got our challenges up there. We've got this uh, high-voltage power line that we're trying to get put underground, and that's taking a lot of people's time and effort. And we've got, obviously, a government that's not listening for the benefit of the future generations. Sort of important to more and more... I'm getting more and more letters about uh, all these sort of things from all over Australia, Victoria, uh, New South Wales, and I suppose that's just where it's happening at the moment, but I suppose in the future, who knows? Yeah, well, look, I think, you know, we're, we're trying to look after the environment for our kids and their kids, and it's just the right thing to do. So I think the Minister, Chris Bowen, has got to bite the bullet and say this is what's going to happen for a better Australia. The rush to renewables is probably the problem. I think the rush to everything. Uh, when you start rushing things, you tend to fall over and hurt yourself. Yeah, or, or occasionally put a uh, boring machine in a, in, in a big hole. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, tell me your story. What's Jugyong doing at the moment? Well, Jugyong's a lovely little village that got bypassed in the mid-90s. Like Barney, Barney. was saying, uh, we feel very blessed at the moment because the rest of Australia is in drought, although I just be- I believe that central Queensland just had great rains, which is a great news for everyone. But our season, considering in the condition of the rest of Australia, we just feel blessed. But we're a tiny little community on the Murrumbidgee River. What do you do, Ross? I... I- worked for an aged care home I do all the maintenance there and today believe it or not I'm down to see my physiotherapist <laughs> but I'll be back to work tomorrow don't worry about that and Barney what do you do in uh, look and a bit of mixture these days it used to be purely orcharding with um, stone fruit and apples but we've got a few cattle now and we've got a small nursery but you know once again we hopped out of an industry that was doing quite poorly in, in regard to pricing with apples and of course you know we all know how the uh, the supermarkets affect the, the pricing for producers and then we've seen this dramatic downturn in livestock prices over the last 12 months which is just really impacting people you know we've seen 60-70% drop in the price of cattle and sheep and that's representing sort of an 80-95% reduction in income for livestock producers so yeah, a lot of these small country towns are going to do it pretty pretty tough in the next 12 to 18 months until these prices pick up again. Barney, every time I go into a shop like a greengrocer's or a... Is that an old term? Can you mm. still greengrocer's? Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're lucky to find one. <laughs> or the supermarket. There's a different breed of apple. Yeah. They seem to invent new ones. I mean, they I talked do. to an apple bloke once and he says, oh, there's over 700 and... Well, there's, thou- there's thousands of varieties. But yeah, there's a new one all the time. Yeah. It's become a fashion industry. You know, we all need it. We all need a new apple, you know, variety every year. Like we need a new shirt or we need a new dress. No, we don't. We need a, <laughs> we need a nice tasting apple. That's what we need. That's right. Well, you know, we've got a great Australian apple and the pink lady apple and mm. they're just so hard to beat. That's that's all I grow um, currently. But yeah, it's turned into a fashion industry. Look, the same thing happened with stone fruit. We had all these wonderful new varieties that were no longer slip stones and, you know, you, you bust your teeth trying to eat the damn things. And the cider industry is growing. Mm. As a byproduct, it's huge now, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Which must be great for producers up there. Uh, well, look, the, you know, the cider industry is great. Um, but once again, it's a byproduct. So you're not getting, you know, the, the producer once again is not getting a lot for their fruit that's going into cider. But anyway, look, it, it is still a positive for the apple industry and the pear industry. And you but said slipstone, and when I was a kid, my mum said, go and buy some peaches, but they must be clingstone, because you used to be able to buy. Is that right? Or am I getting it mixed no, up? No, no, that's right. So the, uh, the slipstones are the ones you cut them in half and they just break in half and the, the seed drops out. The clingstones are where you can chew all around the seed, but, you know, it's, it's always attached to the flesh of the fruit. Fashion industry, eh? <laughs> so you learn something new 
you every time you go on the road, Ross. You do, Macker. I, I understand that. I wanted to add to that the way you bring stories alive every Sunday. We just love it. The stories from around Australia and the world, when Mark rang in from Edinburgh, was fantastic. Oh, this is Mark Campbell, the yes. row, our rowing correspondent. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And the, the mad weeder. Every time he says, yeah, I said, so what are you doing? He said, I'm just out pulling some weeds. He's, Which he's is a, pretty <laughs> remarkable because he spends 12 hours a day doing surgery in, vet, in his vet practice, so he must be a hard-working guy. It's lovely to talk to you both. Good luck with the people of Batlow. I mean... You're simpatico with a lot of people around Australia. As I said, this is happening more and more with wind farms and poles and wires, and I don't think there's been any forethought before we've done all this. And people living in the city, like me, we don't know about it because unless you travel out of town, everything's just the same. They're not building a wind tower in my suburb or anything like that. And, you know, it's the social and environmental impact that's uh, having on these towns. And, of course, in Batlow's situation, we're still recovering from those catastrophic bushfires in 2020. Ross and Barney. Thanks very much, Anne. Thanks Thanks very much, Matt. It's a pleasure. Nice to, nice to talk. I'll go and have my coffee okay, in the Niagara. Famous cafe, this, it isn't is. it? Oh, well, John Curtin dropped in here during World War II, and it just fascinates me that in those days in the middle of the war, they were driving themselves with a couple of blokes from Melbourne to Sydney and dropped in here at about one in the morning, knocked on the thing and woke him up and said, oh, can you got to get us a cup of tea? Couldn't happen today, mate. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Macca. This is the All Over News, and growing old is not for sissies. I think poet Judith Wright said that once. When you add to that the shortage of staff and places in nursing homes, well, meet John Knight. I'm in Gundagai. Your name is? John Knight. I'm the chair of the board of the local nursing home, and I wanted to talk about problems that we're having with the changes to nursing homes in Australia that are affecting all the small nursing homes across Australia. Mostly in country towns? Mostly in country towns. We're we're lucky here. We have very good medical services. We have five doctors. We've got a hospital, and the hospital's got an acute high-care nursing home, and we run a 19-bed low-care nursing home known as a hostel. And we've been going for over 30 years where locals look after locals, and it's been very good. But the federal government's now changing the way that these nursing homes are being run. The recommendations of the Royal Commission a few years ago into nursing homes. And I'm not arguing at all about the higher care nursing homes don't need registered nurses, etc. But they're trying to impose 24-7 registered nurses on us, which is just patently ridiculous. Our residents are low care. It's assisted living. It's not a clinical environment. We have local people looking after after these people in basically in their own home. It's a model that's worked incredibly successful for a long time. Just listening to you, it seems like a very sensible thing to do as well. It's, it's incredibly sensible. It's sensible for a small town, for a major centre, Sydney or Melbourne. Yep, I, I get it. Large nursing homes, hundreds of beds, uh, etc. We have 19. But there's 11 similar facilities around the Riverina like us who are all being threatened with closure because they can't meet the care minutes. And also we have to do what's called ageing in place. They tried to do ageing in place 20-odd years ago and it failed. It's where a person comes in and then as they deteriorate over the years, you know, they might come in as a 70-year-old and they're still with us at 95, but they require high care, dementia care, all that sort of stuff, and we can't provide it. We've been, they had a lot of pressure put on us to gear up for this, but we have it 20 metres down the corridor. We're actually physically attached to the hospital, but because the hospital is state-funded and we're federally funded, we can't share resources. We have this huge bureaucratic brick wall in the middle of this corridor. <laughs> Everything has gone well, but 
I'm aware of other facilities in smaller towns, one town, I won't name them, 500 people in the Shire, they have a 20-bed facility, they have no registered nurses live in the Shire, their nearest major centre is over 100 kilometres away, they don't think that they'll be able to continue to be, look after their own elderly. Just listening to you, I mean, the problem in, in Australia at the moment is getting people who are qualified yes. in, in position. So, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. We, um, we're expected to have 24-7 registered nurses. We're told we need to start getting them from agencies if we can't and bringing them in from overseas. Every, everybody I talked to, I met a bloke the other day and he had plaster all over him. I said, oh, you're a plaster. And he said, oh, well, I'm, today I'm a plasterer. <laughs> Tomorrow I'm a bricklayer. Tomorrow I'm a carpenter yep. because I can't get anyone. I mean, and I'm, that's across yep. the board in every profession from the barista to the banker. Yeah, well, I've, I've got a health background and registered nurses were always the bottom of the heap. We're now nursing homes offering registered nurses $150,000 a year. All of a sudden they're in great demand. If we go down the agency route, it will cost us $1.8 million a year. And we can't, we'll be out of business within 12 months. The, the other route they're telling us to go down is to import registered nurses from the Philippines or Nepal. I have a real moral problem with that, in that poaching health professionals from third world countries. A first world country like Australia poaching third world countries' health professionals. And if a first world country like Australia can't manufacture enough nurses, how does a third world country manufacture nurses? Uh... It's exactly right. But this is an issue. There was a really good article in the Sydney Morning Herald on Monday about it with regard to similar facilities up in the northwest of New South Wales but I'm convinced that it's an issue for... Around Australia. Around Australia. And if you extrapolate what we have, we, we actually are running three beds short at the moment. We have 19 beds, but we have 16 residents because we can't meet the care minutes. I know the hospital, Gundagai Hospital, is running three beds short because they can't meet the care minutes. So where are these six patients? They're in the acute care section of the hospital. That extrapolates out to the overflows ending up in Wagga Base Hospital. Wagga Base Hospital is in gridlock because it's locked up with aged care people. Our manager gets a phone call at least once a day from a hospital saying, please, can you give us one of your beds? And she's saying, no, I can't. I can't meet the care minutes. So this is a major issue for a rural area. It's not a metropolitan issue. And I'm just hoping by talking to you that we can get it on the radar. I actually met with the Minister for Aged Care in Canberra last week. She denied there was a problem. It's John Knight, isn't it? Yes. John, nice to talk to you. Good luck, mate. And, okay. Uh, let's hope there's thanks, some thanks action. Sam. It's a pleasure. Nice to meet you. Okay, thank you. I've been meaning to introduce you to Spud for the last couple of weeks. I met him in WA. Come and meet him. I'm in Perth talking to Spud, they call you Spud. Yes, they do, Macca. Tell I'm, me your story. I live up in Gidgiganup. Just, um, they call it Gidgi, don't they? Yeah, Gidgi. Place where spears are made in the Noongar language. Yes. Gidgi is a spear and Ganup for place. Yeah, so Gidgi Ganup, place where spears are made. Do a bit of Noongar language. That works, yeah. Yeah, Kaya. Kaya Wanju. We're on Noongar Budja here. This is the place of the Noongar people, the Bibbulmun. The Bibbulmun, as in the Bibbulmun track. Yeah, all the Bibbulmun. The Bibbulmun is, this is their country, and uh, oh, we're lucky to be here. It's great Budja. We're not too far from the Swan River, the Buya. Yeah. Spud, what do you do? I uh, work in the environment, and uh, I'm, my aim is to try to save the world. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Pulling out no. weeds and picking up rubbish. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, nothing small. Yeah, just... no, no, no. We battle on. We battle on. I'm a member of a couple of friends groups and um, go around and we 
look after the country. Yeah. You just had an arm full. Of, that's why I stopped you. You had an arm full of proteas, was it? Yes. Yeah. I used to grow white king proteas and uh, for cut flowers, but um, unfortunately, Thytophora, the dieback, gets them, and uh, they're a member of the proteaceae family. But because um, they're originally from South Africa, aren't they? Or somewhere? They are. Yeah. In, in the same family as Banksias and Grevilleas and stuff like that. And I think oh, they get mistaken for those when you look at them. You think, oh, that's a bank, but it's not. It's yeah. Proteus. No. Well, again, that we're we're in a biodiversity hotspot here, and that's why it's the southwest of WA is such an important spot. But those the Proteus, I used to sell them, but these days I just give them to people. Yeah. I get enjoyment. I used to sell them and used them to put my son through school and they helped out for a couple of years of the fees and stuff like that but he's touring around he's in berlin at the moment i think he's been left in april or march and six months on the road hasn't called for any money yet so he's doing okay yeah yeah but um no no the proteas are great people love them i just i give them away people say why don't you sell them and i say because i couldn't be bothered and um no just give them and my friend ned tony he's uh from derby go up there and I walk in the Kimberley with him he takes us out this year I went up to the Drysdale River and Mitchell Plateau did a we were just talking about the Drysdale yeah yeah and uh, yes you were a couple of weeks ago and with your mate Jock yeah and um, I I need Jock's surname because I've got Smearson Smearson yeah well I couldn't (laughs) I couldn't get it off I replayed it I just couldn't get his um, name but I've got a friend who wants to do a kayaking trip up there next year at the moment I think he's going to go by himself not a safe thing to do but um we spent 12 days up on the Drysdale and then I did another uh, 12 days with some other a group of people. We're out of Kununurra and we flew into Mitchell Plateau and just walked along the Mitchell River. Fantastic country. I think uh, over in the east, at Phytophthora, when I try to grow things like Geraldton wax in, yep. in the east, have a lot of trouble. You've got to keep me. If you find one growing in a pot, leave it in the pot because as soon as you put it in the garden, it seems to... They don't do as well over there. So, well, I heard you talking about the Geraldton wax last week, and I drove past on my planet um, during the week, and I thought oh, I should I should have picked you a bunch and brought it down for you. But no, no, I don't. No. Want to, uh, but yeah, it's hard yeah. to grow. It's a lovely plant, but it's hard to grow. Over oh, different conditions too. Mm. It can be a bit of a weed here, actually. Geraldton wax is a beautiful flower, and it's in flower now, so you should see it while you're here. I remember when I first came into. Perth years ago on the train there's all this Geraldton wax growing all along the railway line all the way into Perth and I said ah it's amazing mm. oh it is and all the white bits we're just about it's been a drier year this year so the wildflowers aren't as good but we went out to a reserve in Swanview the bottom of the Darling Ranges uh, just on Tuesday and we did a walk in and we looked at all the wildflowers saw some I actually saw some orchids I'd never seen before and we went in and we did much the same as the Noongars used to do. We went in and observed and just had a look at everything. And the people, that, there was myself and another guy who's involved in a couple of friends group. And we just led these people through and showed them. We only walked 150 metres in and 150 metres back, but we saw so much. We would have seen 150, 200 different plants. And they're in flower now, so it's the best time of the year. Spud, how did you get the name Spud? Spud. Uh, just nickname at school, picked it up, something to do with the shape of their head, and it stuck. Good on you, Spud. Great to talk to you, mate. No worries. Thanks. Yeah, g'day, Maka. Uh, Grant, Grantley Ingram calling from Bombala. How are you going? Uh, good, thanks, Grantley. Just, just thought I'd give a quick call, mate, uh, just to let you know that in New South Wales, the, the council demerges... Um, just got real, Macca. We've we've got some legislation before Parliament to uh, to move those along a bit. So the merging of uh, under was that Mr. Mr. Baird? Um, um, the merging of yeah. councils hasn't been 
always seen as a, a wonderful thing. Is that what you're saying? Indeed, Macca. We um, <clears throat> we formed a little bit of a bit of an association called the Demerge New South Wales Alliance, and uh, we speak to the, um, the majority of merged uh, council communities around the state, and uh, people generally uh, saying to us it, it's not working. Um, the, the important thing about this legislation, uh, Macca, that's uh, went in, in, into the upper house uh, Wednesday a week ago, um, uh, the important thing about this is it, uh, it gives the community a vote on, on whether they want to stay in or stay or, or get out. Um, and, uh, and if they vote out, they get out. So that's, uh, that's what we're sort of pushing for, give, give, give people a choice, mate. And uh, usually country communities know much more about uh, councils and more inter- interested uh, than we do who live in the suburbs and the cities, although um, you need people, I suppose, like you, Grantley, who are involved in this and realise it's a, it's a crock of, if you know what I mean. Uh, merging has been a crock and so uh, it needs to change. Well, indeed, Mac, but we've got very strong representatives from you know, some of the biggest councils in the state. I mean, Inner West, mm. uh, Canterbury, Bankstown, uh, Northern Beaches. I mean, those people are—they're wild with mm. uh, with what's happening to their community. So, uh, I think in the bush, you're right. Everyone's a bit closer to the old council because uh, yeah, that's just the way it is. You're always down there, RSL having a beer with the mayor on a Friday night, so you've got to give him a bit of a tune up. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, look, our city folk are uh, equally as um, as upset about it. But uh, so so, what do um, you th- what what's the likely outcome? Do you think we'll get a lot of demergers? Well, I think uh, uh, we've got to get this legislation up first, uh, Mac. And a shout out to Dr. Amanda Cohn. Uh, she's a Greens uh, uh, member of the upper house. She's championed the cause and, and put forward the legislation. Um, and we've spoken to uh, the crossbenchers, animal liberation, animal justice, sorry, uh, fishers, uh, shooters and fishers, um, uh, independence, uh, one nation. So we've been across the, um, uh, you know, across the table really as far as support. Mm. And uh, and they're all behind us. And um, and the thing I think back at that really gives us a bit of encouragement is that although this has been put forward by the Greens, it's actually um, <laughs> 100% Labor policy. So um, we're, we're thinking we've got a half a chance, mate. Well, that's that's good. Now, what about the rest of Australia? Have they demerged or they mean merged? Or can you give them some heads up about what they need to do? Has there been lots of merging around Australia? I suppose there has. Because it... well, well, yeah, look, they, they have. I think they had a crack at it. Uh, well, certainly Victoria was, a, I think, two thousand four. I guess just generally being considered to be a bit of a disaster, certainly in the, in the rural areas where people have lost touch. Um, and uh, I think WA had a crack at it, but they got uh, got, got shifted. Queensland had a, had a number of demergers um, up, up there, so they, uh, yeah, I think they've uh, they benefited from those from those processes. But the important thing about this thing, Macca, is we, 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 it's got to get the parliament. They've got to have a vote, and that'll be in February next year because they've got to knock off a Chrissy, uh, our politicians, bless them. Um, so, so really, I think the community uh, need to get it to their local members between now and February and, and just tell them uh, how important this is. All right. Well, good luck with that, and it might be a, a template for the rest of Australia because uh, I know there's a lot of angst about merging councils and... Uh, you know, it's yep. always been uh, forwarded under the banner of uh, cost effectiveness, but that's been a um, again a crock. Yeah. No, look, it just it hasn't worked. But you know, we're saying give the people a vote, Mac, and that's that's our that's our position. Mm. I, I don't know. Well, I can't speak for you guys at uh, where, where you live in Sydney, and, and you can't speak for me. But uh, 
you know, give, give people a chance to uh, uh, to approve it. And if it's worked, I mean, people will vote. You know, they'll they'll they'll, they'll stay with it, won't they? That's, yeah, that's the way I see it. Exactly. Said. Good on you, Grantley. Great to talk to you, mate. Right. Thanks. Right, cheers. Bye. Your name is George. George Velastaris. Velastaris. Hiya, George. I'm good, mate. Uh, you wanted to talk to me about. I just have an old connection with you know, Greek cafes and pipe bands and uh, Gallipoli and um, yes, it was. Uh, it just, well, uh, tell me the story. I wrote you a letter some years ago about all those three topics and um, just tying them together. And my family came out to Australia in 1955 and ran the old-fashioned Greek country cafes uh, initially in Tamworth, but then mainly in Scone and uh, in the Upper Hunter. I used to look forward to um, pipe bands coming to Scone for Anzac Day and eventually uh, decided to attach myself to one and um, at the moment I don't play anything but I'm the, the drum major in the Grafton District Services Club pipe band and uh, I enjoy that very much. Where Thank do you. the Vladisteris... Vlastaris... Where do they come from? From an island called Lemnos, Limno, which is uh, the northeast Aegean. It's uh, about 60 kilometres from Anzac Cove and it's where the mini-series The Gallipoli Nurses is set and where they went to Gallipoli from. There are three or four war cemeteries um, on the island. Not a lot of Australians, a lot more English, but there are quite a few Australians um, buried on that island. So, And the Greek cafe people, they were from Kithra mainly, well, weren't they? there's a lot from Kithra, but they're um, uh, in Grafton, they're nearly all from Kithra, and my lot were less in numbers, but there's uh, quite a few of them now in Australia you know, from, that, from that island. Uh, there's uh, Limnian associations in Sydney and Melbourne, and uh, uh, but in, in those, that era, the 50s and 60s, a lot of them ended up in things like the country cafes, yes. And through the northeast of New South Wales, there were you know, quite a network of Catherians and a few other islands thrown in as well. So, yeah, it was a different time. It was a different time. Those times uh, have gone. So the Greeks played the pipes too? Oh, the Greeks played the pipes before the, the Scots um, <laughs> crawled out of the caves. Oh, really? Uh, in that's the, in the that's ford, them fighting words. In the ford <laughs> of the, the pipe band tutor written by... Uh, a Scott 1940s. In the Ford, they talk about the Greeks and the Egyptians playing a version of a bagpipe. Not the Great Highland bagpipe, uh, but a bagpipe. Any, any culture that had sheep and goats and things eventually turned one of them into a bladder, had a blow stick and a chanter. That's where they come from. <laughs> oh, George. Only, only the Scots would then invent the drones, golf and whiskey. You had to be sort of a bit you know, sort of twisted to be able to. So you wrote me a letter, um, what, 10 years, oh, 20 probably years? probably 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, yes. Uh-huh. And then you, you again, to much to my surprise, uh, read it out as why I live where I live, and that's not the way it was intended, but uh, uh, you must have been amused enough by it at the time to, you know, to read it out. So, George, you live here in Grafton? I've lived in Grafton for 38 years, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm an optometrist. Interesting. Um, can be, yes. It's a job that's changed dramatically over the last you know, 40 years, and uh, uh, these days we're licensed to um, write prescriptions for medications and and can do some first aid on eyes and remove foreign bodies as well as um, you know, make your glasses and uh, refer you off to the ophthalmologist for more intensive treatment, yes. And oddly enough, I came from a, a horse breeding area to a horse racing area from the Upper Hunter to, um, to Grafton. So it's been sort of all sorts of connections. So, uh, yeah, coincidences, let's say. All right, George. Well, nice to meet you, mate. And, nice to meet and you. thanks for the letter. Always like letters if they've got a little story to tell. I enjoyed writing it as a letter as opposed to a, uh, an email or a phone call. That no, was good, yeah. George, lovely to meet you. Good on you. You too. Yeah, uh, Macca, uh, this is Steve Holt from Campeche, Mexico. How are you? <laughs> 
<laughs> Stephen, I'm I'm great. I was just yeah. The la- la- lady just wrote to me and said, "Are you going to Mexico? Or Mexico?" Uh, uh, well, well, it's four forty. It's four forty-six Saturday afternoon here, and I, you may remember I told you last time I pay all uh, all our staff leave at two o'clock, so that's when you start here. So uh, I got rid of all the staff, and I've been listening to Macro ever since. What would sort of, what, you're good on you. What would a Mexican Christmas be like, uh, Stephen? Oh, great festivity. Uh, I think you're aware a lot, uh, the majority of the, 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 the major religion over here are Catholics. And, uh, you know, a great festivity. Um, vacation time, family time. You know, in these pueblos where I'm involved in, uh, uh, they put up celebrations, they got lights. And in the cities in particular, like Santeche City, fantastic celebration, really, and very intense too, you know. Some wonderful, wonderful old church, churches and uh, all, all, all walks of life go to church. And uh, it's very, very nice. Gee, I'd love to. I'd love to. We've. I've got a busy time between now and Christmas. We've got. A, I've got a concert on at uh, at the School right. of Arts uh, on the eighteenth, and then uh, we're here on the twenty fourth, which is Christmas Eve. But I suppose I could get on a plain Christmas Day, couldn't I? And we'd be there. Yeah, yeah. You can get over here and give yourself twenty four hours, and you're here. No problem. Yeah, and we could we could be there for the new year. That'd be. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, you can stay with me here on the ranch and. Enjoy the magnificent outlook and uh, go and visit the, the, the cultural centres. And uh, you're most welcome. Come so, over. I'll look so, after you. So, is it um, is it winter over there? Coming into winter, is it? Yeah. And is that yeah, November? November is the start of winter. The weather's outstanding. Um, like you know, twenty. Uh, the coldest it gets is say eighteen eighteen C in the morning. Mm. Very rarely does it drop below that. Really? And up to, up to 28, 29 at this time of year. Where we are in the south, you know, I'm right on the, in the Yucatan Peninsula. Fantastic. Beautiful weather. No insects outside. You can <laughs> sit out there all day, no flies, no insects, no mosquitoes. Wow. Mosquitoes are killing us here. We've had rain, rain, rain. And the the only good thing is I collect little bits of water around the backyard and I feed them to my little I've got little native fish, they're called little Pacific blue eyes. They're only little tiny fellas. But they eat mosquitoes <laughs> like it's going out of style. So I just I feed them on mosquitoes okay. and they love it. They go mad, right. they go crazy. They go crazy. Well there you go, yeah. Oh Steve, it's great yeah. to talk to you, mate. No worries. Yeah. And uh I, I we will see you over here. I'm actually back in February for a three-week break. It's been six months since I've been back, so uh, well, you have to I might come give in. you a buzz when I get back. Oh, well, yeah, well, you have to come in. Where Where are you in, when you come back to Australia? Uh, well, I, well, I'm, going to, I'm going to the Gold Coast, but I'd like to see you. I'll oh, come and have a coffee with you. Yeah, well, we, we could go to the Gold Coast. You, you, give us some news from Mexico. Yeah. What's happening? Beg your pardon? Give us some news. So what's happening around Mexico at the moment? And what's happening in your Well, uh, a lot. In the south here, they're, they're opening what they call a fast train. They've built this unbelievable uh, uh, fast train. It, it, it 
covers five states in the southern part of Mexico. So, so it, it's been an outstanding investment and employed thousands of people. Uh, over, over here, they sort every problem out. So, you know, if they came across an artifact, there's 2,500 people working this free-to-train line, just cleaning the artifacts and removing them and taking them, taking them to a site. Uh, they put a new airport in Tulum, so, you know, Cincinnati, which is where Cancun is, uh, 12 million visitors a year, well, they've got a new airport now. So, uh, you know, a lot, a lot. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.